And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I go over the Sixers' 106-96 win and season sweep over the Boston Celtics, why they would destroy the Celtics in a potential playoff matchup, and how Joel Embiid has looked in his return to play. We then pivot and discuss Rich's feature on B-Ball Paul, go over a lineup we would like to see when George Hill is finally able to play, and then discuss Danny Green turning into Clay Thompson. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? I'm great, man. Beautiful day outside. Sixers smoking the Celtics, which is weird. I mean, you know, we don't care if they win or lose, but hey, you know, every all the fans are happy, so that's cool. Uh, yeah, what, what else could you ask for? It is weird. Now, I will say the Sixers smoked the Celtics in the playoff or in a regular season last year. Uh, obviously, there were some extenuating circumstances in the playoffs, i.e., no Ben Simmons. Uh, and also, I mean, the, the Celtics team just looks nowhere. Like, they look way different than they did last year. Uh, but yeah, the Sixers, a 106 to 96 win over the Boston Celtics to move back into a tie for first place in the Eastern Conference. Quite frankly, the score wasn't nearly that close. The Sixers. Smoked them pretty good uh, and, and really pulled away there in the middle of the second quarter. Pretty tight game in the first quarter. Pulled away with a massive run in the second and pretty much slept walk the rest of the way through there. I, I'm, usually a, I'm usually a fan of saying that the score isn't that close when the Sixers get their butts kicked. So it's it's rare to say like, oh yeah, no, they killed them last night. It was a 10-point game, but they were way better. And yeah, uh, yeah I don't know. That was... It, uh, uh, it never really looked in doubt. And... You know, so much, it's funny because so many times we've seen them go up against Kemba Walker, who looks, I don't want to say completely cooked, but he's, he's, he's getting a little warm there. They used to have so many games where they just had no way that they could stop Kemba Walker. And you were, you just had no idea how he was ever going to miss a shot. And the Celtics, and look, I've given Brad Stevens a lot of credit over the years. They've had a tough year, but I, I think he's a good coach. Brad Stevens had no answer for Joel Embiid. And that's why I don't, they, Boston could have gone on a 10-0 run. I think they went on one pretty decent-sized run there. I forget if it's the second quarter or third quarter. But I think they had one where it was like, all right, well, they pulled it back to within single digits. But you're like, I'm not too worried because at the end of the day, they're going to dump the ball into Embiid. Boston's going to have to send a double team because they have no real chance to guard him one-on-one. And Joel's going to make the right decisions, and he's going to pass out of it. They're going to get open looks. They're going to get open driving lanes, and good offense is going to come of it. You just felt like... the Boston had no answer for Embiid. And, you know, we spent a good solid chunk, 11 games without Embiid recently. And at times they would win. At times we'd be like, ah, you know, I I wish Seth Curry could get a shot off a little quicker, could be a little more involved in the offense. Or, you know, I wish maybe Tobias Harris could be a better playmaker or Ben Simmons could be more aggressive in the half court. 
Uh, offset a little bit by the fact that Danny Green turned into Clay Thompson there for a little stretch, really still is. But Joel Embiid reminds you that, hey, this is this is why they're relevant. And this is why so many teams are going to have sleepless nights trying to match up against them because Boston had no shot. They had no shot to defend Embiid. And he doesn't even really look like he's at the top of his game right now, and they still had no shot. No, he still looks, you know, Doc said that his rhythm was a little bit better last night as opposed to the the Saturday night day night game against yeah. the, the the Wolves and that's probably true but it was, I, it was yeah. for him it was a low bar to clear though you know he still looks yeah. plenty rusty i mean i what did he shoot like 0 of 4 0 of 5 from 3 those are not going in right now 1 of 5 he made one so yeah. the you know the the jumpers are not coming as smooth he still doesn't look it's not that he looks not healthy. He doesn't look quite as confident being explosive off that big bulky knee brace. Um, that isn't to say that he hasn't torn down the rim a couple times, just that he has to get himself very wide open to do it in a way that like, you know, he had taco fall on him for a little bit last night. And he was like, eh, I- I'm not, I-, I could blow by this guy, but I- I'm going to shoot some jumpers over him. And eventually they went in. I was so waiting for Embiid to just lower his shoulder and go right into Taco Fall. Because on the one hand, like that dude is has a high center of gravity, but I also wanted him to fall so he could make the Taco Fell joke. And it didn't happen. <laughs> well. Very disappointed. Well, may- maybe in the playoffs because, and, may- and it might be the 1-8 matchup because Boston, yeah. you said it, they look terrible. And I, I had mentioned this a few podcasts ago. If the Sixers play these guys in a series, I know these guys in some way are in the Sixers' head. It, the Sixers are going to have to beat them at some point in the playoffs. They're going to have to prove it. They're better. They're, 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 if they can't beat this Boston team, it'll, they have it's, issues. It's nev- there, was, there was no finals run coming if they can't beat this Boston team. Yeah, And look, they, Boston still has some guys that I really respect. Um, you know, those two-way wings in Tatum and Brown is hard not to. I love watching Marcus Smart play, especially when he's not terrorizing the Sixers. And I really respect respect Brad Stevens, but there has just been a war of attrition on their depth over the past three years. And it looks like it has finally come up and caught up to them a little bit. And also Kemba Walker just does not look like Kemba Walker. And he was really a part of what made them uh, function offensively at that level. And specifically one who really terrorized the Sixers and the Sixers got more aggressive. And you pointed this out in your recap last night, the Sixers got more aggressive in their pick and roll coverage. But also Boston just didn't really like they struggled to create off the dribble. They struggled in one on ones. The the ISO matchup hunting from three years ago uh, it does nope. not look nearly as effective right now, in part because the Sixers have way better defenders. I mean, um, but in part, it's, it's Boston it's not just, just doesn't look. It's not just that either, though. Like, like Kemba Walker couldn't get by Seth Curry last night. Yeah. Yeah. He shot Tobi- I think, Tobias Harris. Seth Curry. Yeah. Tobias Harris did a fine job against Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown hit a couple shots on him, but. I mean, remember that first game of that playoff series last year? Jalen Brown was lighting his ass up. Yeah. Yep. That does not. Boston is a weird team. They have a real good year, then just a complete disaster of a train wreck year, a real good year, and now it looks like they're on that downward cycle. And the Sixers pretty much flip-flop good years and bad years. Last year's Sixers, they they remind me of a much less talented version of last year's Sixers where not only do they not have the depth and the high-level talent, but they're also just not, like, things just aren't clicking for them. Uh, like you said, I don't remember if it was on the pod or before the pod because we spoke way too long before the pod and that um, muddies things up a little bit. But that is a a win that you should have taken, as a Sixers fan, a lot of enjoyment out of. And you just kind of felt like you were beating on the, you know, scrawny little kid. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, and you felt a little guilty about it. Like the Sixers were bigger and stronger and better in every way. So should the Sixers be worried next year because they're on this seesaw with Boston. <laughs> yeah. Boston really disappointing year, eighteen nineteen. Kyrie Horf, Sixers good year, almost get to the finals. Kawhi shot away. Then the Sixers' expectations go up and they stay. Yeah. And Boston has a run that is very close to the finals. They made the conference finals. Um, and now it's the opposite again. So I, I wonder if we're on the seesaw here, hopefully that's not the case for the Sixers. They better strike while the iron is hot this year is my point. Yeah. Because uh, I don't know, weird stuff is happening. Yeah, and it, it's so funny that they have gone from – you know, Boston being the tough matchup for them. Like, wow, uh, you know, Al Horford pick and pop, you know, all of these wings who can force the Sixers to put the ball on the floor and Brad Stevens can match up hunt. You know, he can post Marcus Smart 800 times against J.J. Redick and create threes that way. Kemba Walker in the pick and roll with Embiid hanging back by the rim, just shooting open shot after open shot. None of that exists anymore, which is... no. Which is weird, and, and not only that, you have Embiid move up like five levels, and the Celtics, do you, they might be the single least prepared team to defend him in the NBA. It is yeah. bizarre. Like, I'm talking maybe like the Sacramento Kings are a little less prepared, but we don't see them that much. They are like bottom three or four teams in the NBA. Cornette, Mo Wagner... Yeah, no chance. Time Lord is a good player, but he has no shot. That that is a matchup where he is a young guy that needs to get a little stronger and he he fouls a little bit too much. He is the one good player of that group, but he also has no shot. They trade their, their other best center, uh Tice, they traded away for, you know, the luxury tax concerns. And I th- yep. I th- which I get. That team's not making a run anyway, so why pay the tax for that team? But that's a, a you know, a hit when you're talking about defending the Sixers. And I think that Tice probably did the best job on Embiid, but we're talking the best of just bad jobs. Like it's, right. it, it right. would not have mattered if he was in there last night. He would have fouled out in like 20 minutes and complained about all of the calls. It, it would be like somebody trying to argue who is the best podcast host between us. <laughs> One might be better than the other, but you're still not like, you know, we're not breaking any records here. No, they, they have no shot. Embiid. 96 minutes against the Celtics this year, 56 free throws. Yep. He is shooting one free throw every, like a little less than every two minutes. I mean, it is, it's insane. And he, and he makes all of them and he gets frustrated at himself when he misses four, but he missed four (laughs) last night and he shot 16 for 20 and he gets frustrated. Yeah. He shot 80%. Like it's, it's not the biggest deal in the world. It's, it's great that he's, that's the bar he can legitimately set for himself. He's probably not going to get the the ninety percent free throw year that we're looking for, but whatever. It just he you cannot guard him. And then the Celtics, I would say midway through that second quarter when they went on the run, Brad Stevens started the double and beat. And it's you know it's not much different than what we've seen from past years. Bring somebody from the top, then you know rotate over and. During that run, two Danny Danny Green had three threes during that run, but two were directly off Embiid post ups. One was Kemba Walker digs down, no help over, easy pass back, and then the other one, Danny Green was in the opposite quarter. Jalen Brown rotated up to that first pass, and Joe read it great, cross court laser, 
Tobias, one more to Danny in the corner, three. That's like that's the good stuff, man. That's that's what we're looking for. And Doc said it after the game, like that's pick your poison, and that's what they want. And B to B. So uh, yeah, it's funny. Like you think it should be this thing where oh we've we've conquered our rivals. And remember, like I wrote this in my piece today. Remember when Embiid said, I think it was opening day, eighteen nineteen. He was like, "This isn't a rivalry. They kick our ass at all times." That uh. Now, now I, I can't say that the Sixers are quite on that level of owning Boston, just because like they, no, they probably need you to do it in the playoffs. Got to sweep them in the playoffs first. Yeah. But guess what? I think they would sweep them in the playoffs. So, or or if not sweep them, beat them in five in a very convincing way. So maybe they'll get the shot. Maybe they won't. But uh, yeah, that looks like teams. You know, I, I know Fournier didn't play, but that looks like teams going in opposite directions. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, and I mean, this was a team last year where we said, Hey, the Sixers match up pretty like Boston is a they've had a better season. They've been a more consistent team throughout the season, but the Sixers match up pretty well. And the reason we said that, and you can go back, I remember we did that that pod with um uh the Celtics guys, uh Jared Weiss and Jay King. And it's like, yeah, the Celtics are a way better team. That was that whole pod. Now, that whole pod yeah. we were just like, yeah, the Celtics are gonna win. I is it gonna be in four? We, we got a negative cop we got a negative comment on there. They're like, don't you know the audience you're speaking to why are you talking about the Celtics are going to win the entire time and then the Celtics came out and smoked them but what we said there was that Embiid could be the equalizer like this is a team Embiid should have a lot of success against it's not going to matter because you don't have Ben Simmons and the Celtics were a better team well now you have Ben Simmons the Embiid having success against them is still true and also the Celtics have taken a huge massive step back and the Sixers don't have four people trying to post up on every possession anymore so it is it helps. yeah it, I mean that, that is a it's a good representation, not only of the Celtics taking a step back, but the Sixers just make more sense. And Embiid, you mentioned that one where he kicked out to Danny above the break. And that was just a real, real simple two dribbles, one hand kick out. Easy. And it's the kind of stuff in years past. Embiid doesn't always do. Embiid handling a double team in years past. And we saw a little bit of this in the bubble last year. But before that, Embiid handling a double team successfully was not turning the ball over. And the Sixers getting some kind of a shot out of that. Now, when you're talking about a wide open Danny Green above the break three or a skip pass to another pass to an open corner three, he's just he's he's those were pre thought out and he's recognizing them quicker. And it's just it's nice to see because a team like Boston, if you're not turning the ball over, or taking bad shots out of double teams, they've got no shot. Yeah. And, no shot. And you go to the other end of the floor. I mean, the Celtics, they just don't get to the rim. And, and against no. the Sixers with all their length. They really don't get to the rim. I sometimes I would say that I express at least a little bit of skepticism on the degree of Ben Simmons defense. Like 
how effective can that wing defender be? In one case where I think it's probably even undersold, he kind of owns Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum, there are two guys that I've seen over the past couple of years in the Eastern Conference who are both awesome players, but who you watch them play against Ben Simmons and maybe they'll, maybe they'll score. They, they, they might, you know, they're both all-star level players and they might, you know, find a way to sneak one by him, but it's sneaking one by one by him. It is not creating a good shot at all. And that would be Jimmy Butler, Jason Tatum, Th- those guys, I, you know, Tatum, those step back threes, he was raining over the Sixers last year. And by the way, Boston still wins that series if Ben Simmons plays in it last year. Yeah, they were the better team last year. They were better. The Sixers were just too dysfunctional. I don't think Ben would have played well offensively in that series. But let's not like sweep it up. Zach Lowe says it all the time when he's talking about the Sixers and the Celtics. Let's not sweep it under the rug. Like Ben Simmons, the, the Sixers might win a game or two if uh, if he is there in that series. And he, he again, did a, a very good job on... Uh, on Tatum, and and that was after I would say his defense, he had a, a rough defensive week, probably not not up to his normal level, and it was uh, it was good to see. But to be clear, like it wasn't just him, Seth chasing guys around screens, like yeah, it wasn't even just Matisse and Ben and Joel either. Like you had Tobias with some great help defense. Danny always plays good help defense. What the Celtics turn the ball over twenty times? That's I mean, some of that was sloppy passing that the Sixers didn't have anything to do with, but some of it was the Sixers just making great rotations and being big and, as Doc said, getting into the ball. Um, yeah, it's, it is bizarre how quickly that has gone from terrible matchup to, wow, that's that's a nice matchup for them. Yeah. And like you said, we started to see sort of like that transition happen last year when they didn't have anyone to match up with Embiid. And also... Again, go back to those regular season games between them. Simmons, like you said, owned Jason Tatum. And that was part of like when we were bleeding up into the bubble and do the Sixers have a chance? Well, part of the reason they had a little bit of a chance is because Simmons had so much success against Tatum, against Butler, like you mentioned, and then he was gone for the playoffs and everything changed. But where was I going with that? Nope. Well, he got hurt. Don't remember. Doesn't matter. Obviously, he got hurt. <laughs> and then uh, the... It, I really want to see, I guess we can transition into this a little bit now. I really want to see George Hill with this team because he is another really good as a spot-up shooter. Uh, just another high-efficiency spot-up shooter these last two years. 6'4 point guard gives you a little more defensively in terms of versatility. I'm interested to see what they do with the backup center spot, especially now we're recording this on Thursday. No buyout candidate. Is it Thursday? No, Wednesday. Recording this on what? Rich, what day is it? Help me out here. It's Wednesday, right? You got it. Okay. Um, so recording this on Wednesday, uh, as you can see, I'm on top of my game. The buyout market, uh, in order to be eligible for a playoff roster, you have to be released um, by Friday the 9th. So we have two more days. Assuming there's no buyout candidate that, that comes uh, their way, I wouldn't mind seeing, and look, Bennett the 5 has never really worked. But if you can put like Bennett the 5 and then George Hill at the 1 and then throw in like three of Matisse and Danny Green Tobias. and Tobias Harris... Yeah. Can you then start switching to the point where you can make that scheme work? I want to see that happen because then you would have, uh, you know, a couple of two really good spot up shooters in green and George Hill, a pretty good shooter in Tobias and Matisse, who might be a good shooter depending on the week. You never know. Made a big one last night. That, yeah, well, look, he's been making them pretty consistently lately on a still a low volume, but he's been making them. Um, but can that team 
compete for five to 10 minutes per game in a switching scene. I don't know. I don't know. And quite frankly, we don't see him switch enough to know anyway, because Doc, even when he puts Ben at the five or Mike Scott at the five, likes to play drop anyway. Uh, but I would like to see that lineup because well, D- Dwight and Ben isn't going to work. And if you'll remember, I believe it was the Bucks game a couple of weeks ago where they did try Ben for a couple of minutes at the five, or maybe it was the Knicks game. It was one of the two. And it was terrible. And Doc said after the game, yeah, well, they didn't switch on the on the pick and rolls. They played drop and they were supposed to switch. And I was thinking like, man, you better get that ironed out. Like that's like the right. that's the main thing that they're they're supposed to do. And that's the obvious thing that they stink at. So yeah, no, I, I'm with you. They're they're gonna have to experiment. That's what this uh this final stretch is gonna be. They need a different answer besides Dwight and Ben, because I, I do think hey, maybe in the first round they'll be able to get away with Dwight and Ben. Like maybe they're they have a series like against Boston where that defense is just overwhelming. I mean, Boston shot 40% from three or close to it in last night's game. And they weren't even close just because all of the easy stuff was completely taken away. Um, So that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. And as far as George Hill is concerned, I would like to see that experimentation. The question is, is that going to be like the second week of May when we finally get to see it? I don't know. I mean, so go ahead. Okay, I mean, you, you could get into the details, but, you know, in, in reading up on Hill, the stuff coming out of Oklahoma, it sounded like pre-trade deadline, they were holding him out and just having him kind of run wind sprints at practice because they were going to trade him. And they were like, well, we don't want you to get him, get get any more injured. We don't want to throw you back into the game, probably, because we're trying to tank, even though we stick at it because we win every close game that we play. Now that he's here, it's like, uh... Well, and then you had you had Daryl, and I forget exactly what he said, but he said something along the lines of he th- he thinks it stays not weeks away. Uh, and then Doc, you know, he, he he mentioned that George Hill traveled to Boston. He's with the team, but he didn't think a. Re- I'm paraphrasing here. He didn't think a return was imminent, um, and it didn't sound like it was, um, you know, anytime soon. I think is what he said. Yeah, and he went Seriously. on to say like he had the same injury on the thumb that Hill had. And it can be extremely painful. And while maybe it doesn't result in a re-injury, uh, just a little bump can can really uh, leave you in some pain. And I don't entirely, you know, Doc likes to downplay injuries at times or down, downplay how close people are at times. He likes to almost brush off injuries. But it's a weird look. And, and people are like, well, then why'd you make the trade? And it's pretty clear you made the trade for the playoffs. And because it cost you very, and I think Tony Bradley's success might have warped people's perception. Tony Bradley was not playing in the playoffs. Um, I don't even think even ahead of Dwight Howard, he was going to play. You could maybe argue he should have, but Tony Bradley was not going to see a major role in a playoff. So you gave up very little and got a player who theoretically could play a meaningful role for you. Uh, it wasn't necessarily done to happen in mid-April. It was to happen in June and July in the playoff run which is fine, but you need to get him up to speed. If he's off for three months, there's a concern how quickly you can get him back up to speed, not only with his new teammates, but with conditioning and with just getting back into the flow of NBA basketball. It doesn't sound like, and look, George Hill still hasn't gone through like a contact scrimmage. It looks like he's still a bit away. I don't know. I don't know. It's a concern, but it's, it's so open-ended that it's just hard to tell. He could be back in a week. Yeah. He could be, but, but Doc is, 
he certainly didn't give you the uh, the idea that he'd be back in a week. And, you know, no. if we no. want to read too much into it, he gave away that Embiid was going to play this past weekend, early last week, when I don't think any of us really were expecting that to be automatic. So, And look, if the difference is he's going to come back in two weeks or maybe 20 days instead of a week, okay, you still have time. It's if this ends up lingering into he's still we're three weeks, four weeks away and he still hasn't played. Well, then you're starting to run up against a how quickly can you get him back because you're getting close to the playoffs. Um, <laughs> when do the playoffs start? Mid-May? No, late May. Um, but Late May? But it would. I think an end of regular season is like the 16th, right? Yeah. Okay. But then there's a play in tournament that the Sixers won't yeah, be in. Right. Right. And the Celtics probably will. But. Uh... Yeah, I just think like, yeah, you're you're running up into the point where it's the first round of the playoffs and Hill's like, wait, what's this play called again? You know, and yeah. I, don't, I don't think you want that. Good news is he's a big, uh, he's a big veteran. He's uh, <laughs> he played with Dan Burke before. Doc was saying he was like the greatest shoot around player he's ever seen. So maybe, maybe that's true as well. I don't know. But yeah, I, and at least this is something where like he's not it's not like a lower body, like an ankle where like you can't run on it or get your cardio like his cardio base should be fine. It's just he will have not played NBA basketball in quite some time. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondering. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Where are we at right now? I think it's been two months since he played. Early February, I think, is when he got out of the lineup. I think it was actually late January. Okay. <laughs> it's been a while. It's been a bit. It's been a minute. But I, I am interested to see what he will do for the team. Um, really good spot. Again, good spot-up shooter who can defend and is, is big for his position will be will be helpful for sure. And, and for sure. like you look at last night's game, like Shake had a stretch where he was pretty bad and if you have George Hill to throw in in that spot, you know, it's, yeah. I, I don't know how many ways I can say it, but they, they're better than the Celtics. They they just are. Yeah, for sure. So you had a, an article recently on uh, Paul Reed, B-Ball Paul. I guess just go over, like, what your, what the story was about. Maybe, like, a favorite takeaway or two you had from it. Uh, and if you want to read the whole thing, go to theathletic.com slash Sixers Beat. Sign up there, and then you can read Rich's article. 
and I think you probably missed out on the $1 a month deal. Shame on you. We've been advertising it forever. That is your fault, but you can still go check it out. Yeah, I mean, fa- favorite takeaway from from Paul Reed, you can tell he is somebody who his teammates like hanging out with, and he just seems like a guy who very naturally makes some of these older players laugh with his his confidence, his swag, whatever, call whatever you want to call. Call me Allie just right away. And, you know, <laughs> I, I've done a decent amount of these stories by now. Like, you know, you talk to the high school coach, you talk to the college coach. I didn't do that this time. But uh, you, you know, you talk to the family, you talk to Connor Johnson at the G League and see what's going on. And, yeah, I mean, I think there, there's a lot to be uh, excited about with Paul Reed. Of course, the article gets published a day or two after I asked Doc, hey, do you, have you ever considered playing him at the five to, to start games? No. Nope. <laughs> Which, like, the subtext of the question is, hey, like, Mike Scott is killing you. Like, he is giving you nothing. Right. How, how? I'm not saying Paul Reed is, like, the panacea. I'm not even saying or he's even ready he's right now. ready. But I'm just saying, like, the, the other option has been bad enough where I'm not sure playing him is... Uh, is going to be that detrimental. And like, look, when, when Doc says, I don't think he's ready, I, I don't completely disagree with him. Like his... No, he's not ready. <laughs> his footwork on the defense... Like, I think that you would like to see him become this switching, versatile defensive center. He needs to work on his positioning on the defensive end, and he needs to work on sliding his feet better. Like, w- when you look at Embiid, he's... Paul Reed's obviously a lot quicker than Embiid, but... Embiid's footwork when he's just keeping up with a guard allows him to stay in place and the fact that he's huge and he's pretty agile for his size, but the efficiency of his footwork allows him to stay in the play sometimes, keep those guys in front of him. Paul's footwork is not as good. It's a little bit all over the place. His center of gravity is a little bit too high too at times. Uh, But like, you know, very interesting player because lit it up in the G League, like a deserving G League MVP, 20 points, 10 rebounds, 40% from three. And I think, you know, Connor Johnson is pretty good at describing this. Like he, he did it for shake when I wrote about shake, I guess it was probably a year ago at this point. And the process of going from G League star to ninth man in the NBA. And that's, it's a little bit of a, a tough adjustment because you don't get 20 shots a game anymore. You have to. Well, at one point, Shake was getting 20 shots a game, but not typically he will, right? No. And if he's playing good in a game, he might get 20 shots per game. But uh, yeah, you have to figure out a way to affect winning without having the ball in your hands at, at, at all times. And I like, look, I think Paul Reed with that three point shot, which I, I think is pretty good. That ability to handle a little bit. He's he's a little bit awkward on the offensive end. He certainly gets some of his offense from cuts and organic offense. I, I think he'll figure that out at some point. To me, the whole ball game for him is defensive positioning and footwork. And if that's there, like I, I think, you know, three year contract on a minimum deal, like I, I think he's gonna play all three of those years in Philadelphia and yeah. probably be in the rotation at some point and you know, if everything goes well, it'll he'll be making a lot more than the minimum after the second one. I uh, so so I guess my my two favorite things from the story though, just personality wise, listening to him. One was the the comment about how all the girls called him B Ball Paul, uh, 
And again, like, just like... Apparently this nickname was something people were giving him shit about long before coming to the Sixers. Oh, yeah. Like, I thought this was just Sixers Twitter and writes to Ricky Sanchez, grabbing on the nickname, making the thing, Matt Cord running with it. Apparently people have been giving him grief for the uncreative Instagram and Twitter handle for a while. You, you can tell, like, when, when I asked him about it, I, I really, like, this was me at my journalistic peak. I was, I was Mike, I was Mike Wallace asking him questions, 60 minutes. I was grilling him. Um, Paul, where did this Instagram handle come from? Where, where, how long have you had it? Do people make fun of you for it? And you know, you could tell like that a, he kind of likes it, but B it's, you know, it's a little embarrassing, but he just never wanted to change it. And, uh, yeah, it's something that has certainly followed him his whole life. His, uh, his mother, great lady. She, um, who who certainly it's pretty interesting relationship where the dad is the former overseas yep. player, division one player, but it's the mom who was the one who was pushing him and the, and the dad who's kind of the, the laid back, like, Oh, that's great that you love basketball. That type of thing. That's, that's a very healthy relationship in my opinion on, on how to go about uh, parenting your kid as an ex athlete. Um, she, she said that the family calls him PJ Paul jr. But she was like, yeah, the, the people around the neighborhood and, you know, all the kids and stuff, B-Ball Paul has been something that has been part of his life for forever. So, yeah, it, the, the girls at the Paul, him volunteering that, <sighs> that that's the number one takeaway. And then the second one that I thought was really funny that he put in there was when he was talking about, like, I was like, so, you know, all the vets have said, you ask a lot of questions, you know, you have a lot of energy. And I was like, what's that like? And he was like, oh, man, they've been great. Honestly, this was probably the most the thing he was most excited to talk about. And he says, Mike Scott took him to the took him to the barber and paid for it. Dwight just took him shopping. Dwight, who. Paul went to his camp when he was a kid in uh, in Orlando. That's kind of funny. Um, Tobias, this is the best one. Tobias, of course, gives him books and financial advice. (laughs) Just every one of these things. The most Tobias thing he could do. Every one of these things, like, it just feels like, like, you know, getting your hair cut, like, that's like a Mike Scott thing, you know, like, he he's the guy that just hooks you up with that. Dwight, you know, just like walking around a mall somewhere, that that feels like him. And then Tobias with the financial advice. It's just like, it feels like all the Sixers vets who are, are all good guys, they just, they, they filled their niches there and they, they all... Gave Paul a little bit of a, a different element, but you know, it, it's, that's something that I think a gets probably undersold when we talk about this team and true shooting percentage and, you know, rotations and all those things. Like, what is it like when they interact together? Do they like each other? Because, you know, like in part, we get a hell of a lot less access. Like I haven't actually seen Dwight and b oh, Paul interact all year. Yeah, I, I haven't met I haven't met the head coach of the team yet. It's it's a really weird year. Yeah, and I, and I would say even in normal years like you could, you could get a vibe that last year's Sixers were off. But but yeah. even even so, like the stuff that goes on behind closed doors we we don't get that even in normal times like you just said. Now, I mean, I've got I've got nothing. These guys can barely hang out with each other. I actually was kind of surprised when he told me all of that stuff. I was like, aren't you like breaking protocols doing all that stuff? Don't worry. I'm not, I'm not trying to blow Nobody up. Nobody listens to the podcast anyway. Blow up their Sorry. spot here. But uh, yeah, he, uh, cool dude. He, he clearly has embraced being a folk hero. I uh, I do think like, man, if, if he makes the rotation next year and is actually their backup center 
popping threes and blocking shots and all that stuff. Like it's going to be Embiid gets the biggest cheers and then it's going to be Paul Reed number two. And uh, yeah, so it was a fun story to do. Yeah. Like you mentioned, father played division one college, went overseas, played a couple of years. I mean, it's just, and the, the Dwight Howard stuff um, at the end that you ended it with, I liked came in. His first introduction was call me Allie. Now, Paul Reed pushes back on that. And he said, he, he said, throw me Allie. But even and, so, uh, if that's the first thing you said, hi, yeah. throw me Allie's. <laughs> yeah. It's a interesting dude, a good bit of, of confidence and just charm. Uh, so enjoyed that one. Go check it out. Uh, and I looked it up. The deal now is 50% off. So you still get a deal. Theathletic.com slash Sixers beat. All right. So let's take a look back at the team. 35 and 26. They are tied for the top spot in the Eastern Conference. 35 and 26. 35 and 16. There you go. Uh, whatever. Whatever. Uh, th- details don't matter. 35 and 16 time tied with the Brooklyn Nets at the top of the Eastern Conference. Milwaukee Bucks are two and a half back. And for the Nets, James Harden now is out for a little bit here. So they have a chance, and the Sixers' upcoming schedule isn't all that tough. Um, Pelicans, Thunder, Mavericks. And then you've got a couple tough ones against the Nets and the Clippers, but they have a chance here to make up some ground and potentially solidify themselves as the top spot in the Eastern Conference. Actually have a, a, a day off, a non-travel day off here uh, on Thursday before a back-to-back. We'll see what happens with Embiid in that back-to-back and whether he plays both. Um, that is their only back-to-back left for April, I believe. So we have a little bit of a respite on the back-to-backs. So Joel can get back up into his normal rhythm. Um, but they got a chance. And look, when we went back and and Embiid injury happened, for them to have a chance now still at that number one seed was not something I expected. Um, so we will see if they can take advantage of that. Two things on the, the Harden injury. Number one, we will not get to see the Nets at full strength play the Sixers this year because yep. never, it'll never happen. They're, uh, I think they said reevaluated in ten days, which means it's going to be longer than ten days, and the Sixers play the Nets in in ten days. So not only are you not getting any sort of preview for uh, for a Sixers Nets playoff series, but yeah, like you said, I mean, look, the Nets have done a great job weathering the storm in in many ways like the Sixers where they're playing a lot of these games with only one of these three guys um so that now, now Durant is expected to come back now yeah um so pretty much Harden leaves Durant back I think Durant is expected to come back tonight um so it'll be a different two star that you have to go up against but yeah for sure well last time they only had one right yeah only one it was only yeah, Harden yeah. yeah yeah so you know I we'll see but uh they got a shot. Like Milwaukee loses in Golden State last night. Those are the stupid type of losses that it's you're looking at it, man. Maybe, maybe they can get that one seed. Here's a here's something I wanted to end on. What have you thought about how Joe has looked? I mean, I, I know he kills the Celtics, but honestly, it looks like he could do that on half a leg at this point. Yeah. How, how do you think he has looked in his two games? I think in terms of conditioning, he looks about as good as I would have expected. Like does he does he look like he might have lost a little bit of conditioning during that layoff a little bit? But I think with Joe, that's always something you expect. He's gonna have to work himself back up a little bit. But I think he looks pretty good conditioning wise. You know, rhythm wise, it just seems like he's not a hundred percent there yet on his movements. But I think he's looked pretty good. 
been pretty good defensively too. Um, I haven't seen any huge red flags just outside of it might take him a week to get back up to uh, where he was at before. Agree with you on the conditioning. I, I would say, you know, even in past years, there would be times where he'd be grabbing at his shorts and it was pretty. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was pretty visible that he would be out of out of shape. I don't think we've really seen that that much in no. these past two yep. games, which is, I mean, that's awesome considering he said that he really only had one day of like a full court workout before the, yeah. the Timberwolves game. So that's cool. I His explosiveness is, I, I would say it's probably a little bit down, like when it comes to the not not even just the jumping the like the the hard jab step moves like i, I don't think you're going to see him pull out a a euro step anytime soon with the the brace and you know after the first game tobias i wonder how long that break that brace is going to last yeah i mean it i feel like that's something where he just could get pissed off i saw on twitter it might have been i think it might have been a tweet by zo special if 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 it was somebody else but it really did look like a college like a big 10 quarterback knee brace uh it's it's pretty bulky that thing so i can understand how uh he does and he does not tend to like wearing that kind of stuff no no remember the mask oh yeah the there was one game in miami during that first playoff series where he was wearing the mask where well they kept freaking breaking it he broke it like 10 times during the game, but there was one time he threw it off and like Brett ran the half court. He was like, you have to put this thing on, man. Like <laughs> you could get really messed up if you don't have it on. Um, yeah, it's true. He does not like that type of thing. And maybe that is limiting his, uh, his explosiveness. I, I agree with you though. Like when it comes to the rhythm, his jump shot, some of his passes, he turned the, he threw a couple yeah. pick sixes against the Timberwolves in that game. Just, Sloppy passes that to me. And he, he has said this, that feels like that's going to be back in a couple weeks, you know, and that's fine. Mm. <laughs> Look, by the way, the, the intermediate period, the ramping up period, he'll just score 30 points a game and be right. plus 50 to 20. It'll just be a little sloppier and that's, you know, whatever. So here's, here's one other thing I was looking up cause I was curious. The starting lineup. If you had to guess what their net rating is right now, what do you think it is? Plus 16. Close. Plus 18.6 per cleaning glass in almost 900 possessions now. So it's a pretty good barometer. Uh, 124.5 offensive rating, which is in the 98th percentile of lineup. Wow. And a 106 defensive rating, which is in the 93rd. <laughs> wow, that offense. My God. Pretty incredible. Pretty incredible. I'd love to break that down by opponent and see how they do against top 10 offenses and all that stuff. But just on the surface, you know, we talk about how last year's starting lineup struggled comparatively to 2017-18 and 2018-19, and both of those lineups were really good. They are back to destroying the league with their starting five, which makes sense because the the groupings fit pretty well. Um, So if you can strengthen that bench, they they have a lot to work with. Strengthen that bench and find a way to survive without Embiid, and they have something to work with. And they just have to figure out a way to create max space for Danny Green this offseason. <laughs> he's freaking incredible, man. He's, he's, um, the way he can, he's up to about half of his three point attempts are coming from the corners right now, which on the one hand, like teams double off of him in the corner a little more than I would have expected. But on the other hand, he's pretty good at getting himself open in those spots, too. Uh, he is, he is, look, I joked earlier, 
Clay Thompson. Uh, he has been really good here over the last month and a half. And what does that mean? Look, we've covered shooters enough. That means he's going to go through a stretch where he shoots 20% over a 10-game stretch, and everyone <laughs> is going to panic. Just remember, another month like this is probably on the horizon. You don't need to panic too much. It's just what happens with shooters. And and by the way, this is an aside, but I, I think it's funny that his past month or so of great shooting has coincided with Robert Covington shooting like 60% in, in Portland after shooting like 20% at, to begin the season. So maybe maybe those two are linked, you know? Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. It is. I mean, that's very comparable because neither of them can dribble, too. No. Um, and neither of them can players. stay in front of, like, a great player one-on-one. Yeah. They are very similar players. Yep. And you remember, even that one year back in this, I don't know why we're even talking about this part, but, like, one year back in San Antonio, he couldn't, he was shooting, like, low sh- low 30s from threes, and everybody worried, oh, is, is, is something happened with Danny? Is he no longer effective? And he'd shot, like, 40% every other year from three. Up to that point, it's real easy to overact with sh- shooters, both good and bad, but he is generating good shots with his movement, um, with reading how other teams are defending off of him. And eventually those corner threes will always go back in. So just when he hits that slump, calm down, have some serenity. It'll be okay. And on that note, uh, thank you, Rich, for jumping on and we'll talk to you soon. See you, man. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.